1: Back in 1962, there once was a boarding school in the village of Kishasha, a small community in Tanganyika, which we know as Tanzania today. It all began one afternoon when two girls were talking to one another in class. One of them told the other a joke. Before long, both girls were giggling. Soon, that giggling erupted into a full-blown fit of laughter. At first, there was nothing particularly strange about this incident, That is until another girl joined in the laughing fit, and then another, and another, and another, and none of them could stop laughing. The wave of uncontrollable laughter spread throughout the school quickly. Soon it was estimated anywhere from 95 to 159 of the students were caught up in this wave of hysterical laughter. The teaching staff seemed immune to the laughing plague, but it soon became impossible for them to resume work so the school was forced to close down months later. Only it didn't end there. Eventually, the laughing plague would spread to 14 other schools. Many of the records of the incident have since been destroyed, but it's believed the laughter epidemic went on anywhere from 6 to 18 months and affected at least 1,000 people. To this day, no one knows for certain what caused this epidemic. Perhaps the best hypothesis comes from Christian Hempelman of Texas A&M University, has done extensive research into the incident. He came to the conclusion that there must be more to this story than is commonly reported. For starters, it's not physically possible for a person to laugh continuously for more than 20 seconds or so. He believes that humor didn't have anything to do with the incident since some victims showed all sorts of other symptoms including rashes, fainting, physical pain, and breathing problems that sound more like anxiety attacks than anything. All this leads Hempelman to conclude the students were experiencing what is known in the psychiatric community as a mass sociogenic illness, or, in more common terms, mass hysteria. The idea that a large group of people could all exhibit the same symptoms from a shared mental condition is something that has been pointed to as the cause of several similarly bizarre incidents throughout history. Probably the most famous of which would have to be the Dancing Plague of 1518, in which more than 400 residents of the city of Strasbourg began dancing uncontrollably and kept going for several days until a number of them literally dropped dead. There were actually several such dancing plague incidents reported throughout the Middle Ages, but the Strasbourg incident is the most famous. In that particular instance, local medical experts decided the cause had to be, quote, hot blood, and their recommended cure was, of all things, more dancing. This was in the hope it would burn itself out of the system. The modern belief is that such mass sociogenic illnesses are brought on by a collective feeling of increased stress throughout a community. For example, during the first Gulf War, many Israeli citizens began reporting breathing problems after an Iraqi Scud missile strike, even though there was no evidence of chemical weapons being used. Like the laughing incident in Tanzania, one particularly stressful location where these incidents often appear are schools. On October 7, 1965, more than 800 students from a girls' school in Blackburn, England were among the massive crowds gathered along the grounds of Blackburn Cathedral, awaiting the arrival of Princess Margaret, who was appearing there for a ceremony celebrating the restoration of the nave. But then, before the festivities could begin, suddenly, dozens of children began to inexplicably fall over. Within minutes, 140 of them had collapsed on the cathedral's lawn, and ambulance crews rushed to administer first aid. At first, officials chalked the incident off to having a large number of children who hadn't eaten, standing for extended periods of time under the hot sun. But then the following morning, 98 students at St. Hilda's Girls' School in Blackburn were also struck by the same fainting epidemic. Some of them were among the very same children who had fainted at the cathedral. But there was no logical reason anyone could determine why this incident was repeated, much less occurred in the first place. This fainting spell was also accompanied by several other symptoms, including physical pain, chattering teeth, and hyperventilation. Pretty soon local hospitals were taking in so many children they were forced to lay mattresses in the hallways. The school was investigated thoroughly for some environmental cause. Three weeks after the incident, one doctor from the Department of Health reported that fumes from two factories and the school's aging boilers were to blame. But those findings were later challenged in an article in the British Medical Journal. Other similar stories of mysterious epidemics with no apparent physical cause have been seen in schools as far-reaching as Serbia, Nepal, and Alabama. And yet there is one recent story in particular from a girls' school in Mexico that stands out. Because many of the girls who were there... And who were directly affected by the incident disagree that it was some sort of shared psychosis. They say this particular incident was brought on by the devil himself. I'm Nate Hale, and the devil didn't make me do this podcast, and this is The Conspirators. Throughout history, you can find plenty of strange mass hysteria incidents that were blamed on the devil. Back in the 15th century, there was one bizarre incident where a group of nuns living in a convent in France began to meow like cats. This was especially disturbing to the residents of the area back then, since cats were widely believed to be the servants of the devil. This strange meowing spread among the nuns rapidly, and within a few days, dozens of them were doing it for hours on end, all in unison. Their chorus of cat noises grew so loud they could be heard throughout the surrounding neighborhood. Residents grew so upset that a group of soldiers were sent in to put a stop to it by force. They decided the appropriate cure was to administer regular beatings until the nuns finally stopped. Another similar incident from the 15th century that was also blamed on the devil also occurred in a convent in Germany. This particular group of nuns began to exhibit their own particular animalistic behavior, when they began to savagely bite and claw at one another. This same sort of behavior was then reported with a group of orphans living in a school in Holland in 1676. There, the children reportedly began acting like feral dogs. They ran around on all fours and began to bark, snarl, and bite at one another. They attacked each other violently, leaving many children battered and bloody. Two recurring factors that seem to play into many of these instances are religion, and a strict set of rules by which people were expected to follow. This sort of situation creates tremendous stress in an individual to behave the right way or suffer the consequences. This would also help explain why many of these incidents occur in private schools as well. And it's not just confined to people living in the Middle Ages either. In June of 2014, in the Japanese region of Fukuoka Prefecture... A terrifying incident occurred one morning at Yanagawa High School. It was just after 10 a.m. when a female student in one of the classrooms abruptly turned a pale, sickly color and began to shriek uncontrollably. She then collapsed in a convulsing heap on the classroom floor while her classmates and teacher stared on in shock. Everyone rushed to the girl's aid, but then immediately two more began shrieking the same way. All the color dropped from their face and they too collapsed and began convulsing. Soon, 27 students in total, all female, were experiencing the same symptoms. By 1 p.m. that afternoon, the school was forced to shut down. Social media posts from students that day all began to zero in on demonic entities invading the school and possessing the girls. Some students claimed the girls who collapsed screamed things like, "kill me" or die as they twitched on the floor all of which leads us to one of the most well-documented such incidents in recent years. It's a story that, to this day, some people still attribute to the supernatural being the cause. An incident that occurred between 2006 and 2007 in a place called Girlstown. Girlstown is a Catholic boarding school in Chalco, Mexico. It was started by an order of nuns headquartered in South Korea known as the Sisters of Mary. It was one of ten such schools in Asia and Latin America that was operated by a charity called World Villages for Children in Asia. The sisters had the aim of providing impoverished young women a strict Catholic upbringing, while also giving them a free education, shelter, and housing. Students who were accepted to the school were allowed to bring nothing with them, none of their extra clothes, jewelry, cell phones, or even any family photos. The nuns insisted before they made the one-way bus trip to the school, they would also have to cut their hair short to just two fingers below the ear. Parents were not permitted to ride the bus with their children. Any parent who wished to accompany the child to school would have to pay for their own transportation. And considering how impoverished many of these families were, that didn't happen very often. It would be a difficult life for the students at Girlstown but one that provided opportunities that were otherwise unaffordable for them. But by March 2007, a wave of panic had set in throughout the school. Months earlier, several students began complaining about a number of mysterious ailments. Some of the girls were nauseous or had fevers. Others complained about sharp stabbing pains in their legs. Many of them spoke openly that the school had been cursed and evil spirits lurked in the halls. It got so bad that some of the girls began openly talking about suicide. Dozens of state and federal inspectors were brought in to investigate, as well as epidemiologists and other experts trying to determine the cause of the outbreak. Everything was tested the food, the water, the soil. Many of the girls were tested for a variety of bacteria and other pathogens. Yet all tests came back negative. But the number of students complaining about these symptoms just kept growing. Over a few months, it went from dozens to more than 600 reported cases of mysterious ailments with no apparent physical cause. Eventually, the Mexican federal government sent in a psychiatrist named Dr. Nashila Loa Zavala to interview some of the girls. One of the students Dr. Loa Zavala interviewed was a 12-year-old girl she later identified using the pseudonym Zitlali in order to protect her identity. Zitlali was convinced there was something evil that had invaded the school— and that she had been cursed. She said she felt she didn't have any strength in her knees, and she was suffering constant pain in her back. Her pain was so intense that she felt it caused her to become a burden to others. Her legs hurt so badly it became difficult to walk, and her schoolmates couldn't carry her. But then she began to talk about some even stranger things. She said she could see black shadows creeping all around her, and sometimes she could hear strange noises. She was convinced they were evil spirits sent to torment her. She tried to pray these visions away, but the prayers did no good. Loa Zavala was, of course, looking for a more earthly explanation of what was going on. She asked Lolly to tell her about her upbringing. The girl said she desperately wanted to attend the boarding school because her mother worked during the day and left her alone much of the time. Her father was a raging alcoholic who abandoned the family when she was two. She said her first stepfather was abusive and the police were often called to break up fights between him and her mother. She said her second stepfather was even worse. He often encouraged her to wear skirts and he liked to get uncomfortably close to her and take pictures of her. She said that as happy as she was to get away from him, she remained worried now that while she was at school, what might happen to her little sister. Zitlali then told the doctor some things she found especially chilling. She told Loa Zavala she believed she knew what was haunting Girlstown. She said there was an evil entity that haunted the school. It had all occurred because some girls had played with a Ouija board and summoned something evil, and now it was there to torment them all. She described this evil like this. I see babies that have their cord like fetuses. Sometimes they are very ugly, bloody, and with red eyes and a wrinkled face. Zitlali said she was terrified of the babies, although sometimes they appeared angelic, but no less disturbing. Sometimes they appeared to her with no face at all. This, of course, all sounded pretty disturbing to Loa Zavala, but she couldn't help but wonder how much the school itself and its strict Catholic teachings had helped encourage these thoughts in the girl. Attending Girlstown was an isolating affair that had more than a few elements in common with prison life. Contact with the outside world was, for the most part, strictly forbidden. Just outside the manicured hedges that surrounded the school stood a security tower and a 20-foot-tall fence topped with razor wire. After the girls made the long bus trip to the school, they were led in straight lines to the gymnasium where they were told to strip to their underwear and leave their clothes on the ground. They were then given the school uniform, a white blouse, long blue skirt, and tennis shoes. While they stood naked, they were subjected to extensive physical searches for any sort of contraband. Some of the girls tried hiding family snapshots in their underwear, than telling the nuns they had their period. But in all cases, the photos were found and confiscated, leaving many of the girls in tears. Any girl who was caught with any sort of other infraction they hadn't informed the nuns about, like a hidden tattoo or signs of waxing, were immediately put back on the bus and sent home. The school had a seemingly endless set of rules. No television, no reading magazines no listening to the radio, and no phone calls, not even to relatives. Students could receive letters, but not send any in return. And, of course, all incoming mail was screened. One other unusual rule they all had to abide by was that all girls were expected to celebrate their birthdays on the same day, which was chosen to coincide with the anniversary of the day the school was founded. Emotional connections of any kind were also discouraged, especially between students and staff members. This included most physical contact. If it seemed like one of the girls was getting too close to one of the staff members, both individuals would be reassigned elsewhere to split them apart. Students had only each other to turn to for comfort, but even this was discouraged by the school. And if the nuns noticed any of the girls getting too close for their liking, they would be separated as well. About a year before the reports of phantom pains and supernatural encounters occurred, the girls were taken on a field trip to a Catholic university in central Mexico. While they were there, some of the girls discovered a magazine with an article that contained a guide on how to make a Ouija board. These boards have been around in one form or another for more than a hundred years. They first came to prominence in the public during the height of the spiritualist movement of the late 19th century. You'll sometimes hear them referred to as spirit boards or talking boards. In fact, the article the students from Girlstown discovered referred to it as La Tabla. But no matter the term used, they all refer to basically the same thing. A board adorned with letters and numbers laid out in rows, along with the words yes and no. You're supposed to then gather around the board with a group of people, then place a circular piece of glass on the board. Everyone then places their fingertips on the glass and begins asking questions of the spirits, and if the spirits are so willing, supposedly the glass will move around, and the spirits will answer you. It was a girl named Maria who came from the town of Tuxtepec, who first decided they should make their own Ouija board. She and several of her classmates began playing with the board on the rooftop terrace of their dorm tower practically every night after lights out. Maria was a natural leader and the other girls often did what she said. There were other darker rumors about her as well. Some students began to say that Maria's mother was a well-known witch in her community and a proud follower of Saint Death. It was right around the time the girls began playing with the spirit board that some of them began to complain about strange things happening. One girl named Jovita, who also came from Maria's hometown, began experiencing terrifying visions. She said she began hearing strange noises and often felt like she was being watched. She said that one night she went to the bathroom and even though she was certain she was alone, she heard one of the other toilets flush nearby. She was so frightened she left her stall and began opening each stall door one by one to confirm they were all empty. But as soon as she checked the last door she heard the first toilet she had already checked flush once again. After that, Jovita grew increasingly paranoid there was something after her. It was standard procedure for the nuns to periodically rotate the girls through the collection of bunk beds in each dorm. This was another method they used to discourage any personal attachments between students. But after the bathroom incident, whenever they shuffled the bunks... Jovita refused to take any bed that was near a window for fear of seeing something terrifying staring back at her. The sisters, of course, remained completely oblivious of the Ouija board sessions, or else they would have put a stop to it immediately. But interest among the girls in the sessions continued to grow.
0: There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen that was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals like most of the things in your catalytic converter i was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes you know prepare yourself for heat wave lucifer i don't think i can prepare myself for that look we like surprising our listeners we like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science, and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I I guess that's a point. (laughs) So the podcast is called Big Picture Science, and you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist, and we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen.
1: One of the most popular events at Girlstown was the annual basketball tournament. This was a beloved tradition that was open to all students across all grade levels and was one of the few occasions where interaction between students was encouraged. Maria was especially psyched for her friend Liz's team to win and decided to turn to the spirits to make it happen. She later said that she had asked the spirits to help Liz and her teammates come out on top. And sure enough, they won the tournament that year. Rumors of what happened spread rapidly throughout the students, many of whom weren't happy about it. Not only was it believed that Maria was practicing black magic, but that she had cheated as well. Several students went to the nuns and told them what was going on behind their backs. At first, the nuns had no clue what a Ouija board was and had to have it explained to them. But once they understood, they cracked down hard. The sisters went and questioned Maria, who denied knowing anything about a Ouija board. But a search of her bunk revealed the board hidden beneath it. The sisters immediately expelled Maria and sent out an edict that anyone else caught playing with a Ouija board would suffer the same fate. But this wasn't quite the end of Maria's story. For starters, several students thought it was highly unfair the sisters to only punish Maria, when several other girls had been using the Ouija board as well. But Sister Chung the school's mother superior stood by her decision. Then, something else strange that only further caused many girls to believe the school was haunted. After getting caught lying, Maria was taken from her dorm and placed in a separate room. The official story the nuns later reported was that a random wind blew through the room, although no one else was there, and this was an interior room of the building. This mysterious wind supposedly caused the door to slam shut on Maria's finger, severing a piece off and causing blood to spray everywhere. As Maria was led from the building, Jovita and several other girls insisted that Maria cursed the school on the way out. No one could quite agree on the exact wording Maria used, and no one has been able to locate her in the years that followed the incident. But soon word had spread throughout the school that Maria had said that every one of her classmates would soon fall ill. They would suffer a great sickness in their legs and would be left unable to walk. From that point on, everyone became convinced that the school was cursed. Almost immediately after that, reports began pouring in from the students that they were seeing ghosts and suffering from a bunch of physical ailments. Dozens of girls began reporting odd stabbing pains in their legs that made it difficult to walk. Some girls began having visions of seeing dark shapes and of objects that mysteriously moved around them. Others had visions of angels and the Virgin Mary. At night, you could hear the sound of crying girls echoing through the halls. Some girls began reporting seeing what appeared to be the ghosts of dead students. Reports came in of several students seeing a row of dead girls hanging in the hallways. Another story began to spread that there had been a former student who had died of some mysterious illness that caused her mouth to bleed, possibly tuberculosis. Now this girl's ghost could be seen running in the field or sometimes in the school's stairwells, all dressed in white and with blood on her face. Soon, word about the mysterious events at Girlstown made their way to the media, and from there to many frightened parents who rushed to the school to take their daughters home. All this added scrutiny was also bringing unwanted attention to the school's strict disciplinary policies. Some local reports began to hint at allegations of physical abuse, something the mother superior vehemently denied. Teams of scientific experts were brought in to test for any sort of physical cause for the mysterious outbreak, but nothing could be found. It was only after all the scientific tests had been exhausted that Dr. Loa Zavala was brought in to examine the potential underlying psychological causes. She too began to consider the idea that the students at Girlstown were suffering from a mass sociogenic illness, much like the stories of the laughing girls in Tanzania or the fainting outbreak at the girls' school in Blackburn, England. One way to think about mass sociogenic illness is that it's the result of another phenomenon known as the nocebo effect, You may have heard of the placebo effect, in which good thoughts or associations can result in a positive outcome or good health. Well, the opposite occurs as well. That's the nocebo effect. In the early 1990s, a study showed that women who believed they were prone to heart disease were four times more likely to die of a heart attack than those who did not. Likewise, Dr. Loa Zavala came to believe that the students at Girlstown came to physically manifest symptoms of a curse simply because they had been conditioned to believe in evil spirits and the rumors that had spread that Maria had cursed the school. And when their own teachers began to blame witchcraft, evil spirits, and tests of God on what was happening, it only added fuel to the fire. Loa Zavala began to work with students on an individual basis and spoke to them about their pasts. In cases like the girl she called Zitlali, she realized the girl had gone from a poverty-stricken and abusive home life to the strict confines of Girlstown. She began to think that a lifetime of such stresses were beginning to manifest themselves in the sort of nightmarish visions the girl began describing, as well as her physical ailments. As she continued to get Zetlali to open up about these things that had been bothering her, Loa Zavala saw the girl improve quickly. Soon she was walking again, and no longer complained about seeing bloody babies. Visions of ghosts and demons were like a game of telephone, according to Loa Zavala. They spread like a contagion throughout the school. As one girl heard a rumor about the terrible vision one student had, they would then begin to imagine something terrible of their own haunting them. Loa Zavala also began to see a number of other similarities in the backgrounds of many of these young women. Several of them described her of coming from abusive family backgrounds. One 16-year-old girl had described severe beatings her mother had administered with an electrical cord or a shoe until she bled. But while Loa Zavala was certain she would come up with a psychological cause for the mysterious epidemic, the school's mother superior, Sister Chong, remained convinced something evil had permeated the school. She brought in a priest to perform an exorcism, but it didn't seem to help. She then tried a traditional Chinese therapy involving an herbal powder that was sprinkled on the girl's legs and then lit on fire. But this too failed to drive out the demons. Several girls described to Loa Zavala they had begun having nightmares about Maria. They said they dreamed the dormitories were on fire and everyone was screaming and in pain, and there, at the center of it all, was Maria. The girl was laughing and telling everyone they would be next, and that they had brought this on themselves for accusing her. One surprising person who turned out to not be immune to the mysterious epidemic was Loa Zavala herself. She too began to experience nightmares. She later explained this away as being brought on by all the stories of abuse and nightmarish imagery she was being told by the girls on a daily basis. But she did admit that one day as she sat in one of the classrooms talking with some of the girls, she began to experience a sharp pain running up the backs of her legs. Over time, she also began to feel like she was being secretly watched. She swore she had the feeling that the nuns were somehow secretly eavesdropping on her conversations with the girls, although she was never able to prove it. Between October 2006 and June 2007, more than 600 people were affected by the mysterious incident at in Girlstown. Most of them were students, but this also included one teacher and a few religious mothers. Around 300 girls were sent home during this time. By March 2007, Sister Chong was so desperate for a solution she tried reaching out to Maria's family to see if she could ask them to lift the curse. But after her expulsion, Maria and her family had left their home in Tuxtepec and moved to Vera Cruz leaving no forwarding address. This isn't uncommon in Mexico where it's easy for people to lose track of one another. Millions of people from Mexico emigrate to the United States each year. They also often migrate throughout their home country, moving from state to state seeking work. Mexico is a country that's been ravaged by decades of poverty and drug violence. Officially tens of thousands of people go missing each year in Mexico, although some humanitarian organizations believe this number to be much, much higher. Eventually, all the students who remained at the school recovered. The nightmares ceased, and they all stopped showing symptoms in their legs. The final federal report signed by Dr. Loa Zavala and several other experts concluded that girls had all experienced a psychogenic disorder of movement consistent with conversion disorder. Girlstown remains open today. Sister Chong was transferred back to South Korea. She looks back on the incident as a test of God. She admitted in an interview that she thinks much of the criticism about the school's strict discipline wasn't entirely unfounded. Koreans come from a strict society, she admitted, and difficult as it was for her to admit, she feels that this also adversely affected her girls. After news broke about the incident, Jovita's mother scraped together enough money to travel to the school to retrieve her daughter. Despite everything that had occurred at first, Jovita didn't want to leave. She met her mother at the front gates and hugged her and she told her that she loved the school no matter how bad things had gotten. But her mother had heard enough and wasn't taking any chances. Together they left, and Jovita never returned to Girlstown again. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an Entirely Fictional Identity. Thanks so much for listening. A lot of the research for this episode was drawn from a fascinating article on Vox.com written by Daniel Hernandez called The Haunting of Girlstown. If you're looking for the best resource on this story, I highly recommend you check it out. In other business, I have some new Patreon supporters to thank. Thank you to Khalid, James, Creative Rehash, and Rob for all signing up and helping support the show. Just a reminder that patrons the show get access to all sorts of bonuses like stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our exclusive bonus mini-episodes. Another great way you can help out the show is to check out our merch store where you can find all sorts of nifty designs for conspirators' mugs, shirts, phone cases, and much, much more. I'll put links to both in the show notes. Something else I encourage you to do if you haven't already done so is to tell your friends about us and to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Each one of your ratings and reviews helps boost us in Apple's charts and helps spread the good word to more people. And if you're not on Apple, not to worry. You can also find us on Stitcher, Spotify, and most of the other places you get your podcasts. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com, where you can listen to our entire back catalog of shows. Elsewhere, feel free to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and our Facebook page. And if you have a chance, drop us a line and let us know how we're doing. Or even send us an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time.
0: It seems like kids these days aren't going through an awkward stage. It's really not fair, because Lord knows we did. So what were you like as a kid?
1: What claws did? I didn't understand my vagina. I was psychotic. (laughs) I was out
0: of my mind. But hey, if there's one thing that connects us all, that just brings people together, it's our cringe. It's being cringy. This is Awkward Stage, the podcast that dives into the most embarrassing moments from the most awkward stages of our life. I'm Nicole and I'm Alina and we're your hosts and the trusted guides to draw the deeply buried cringe out of each of our wonderfully awkward guests. New episodes every Wednesday. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, the trailer's ending, so just say something not awkward. Okay, I love you. Perfect.